Well, hello, everybody. Welcome once again to our midweek service right here at Kingdom Rock Family Worship Center. I am so honored that you decided to join us tonight. We're going to have an awesome time in the Word of God. I mean, we've got a good thing going, I'm telling you. Thank you so much for being faithful in your viewing and in your listening. You guys are awesome. And thank you so much for your, your comments and just your phone calls, emails, and conversations. Thank you for encouraging us as we continue on this wonderful journey. Well, before we get started tonight, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. You are loved no matter who you are, where you've been, uh, or, or where you are or what you've done, the Father loves you with a passionate love. And I pray that tonight you will experience his great love for you and that you'll learn to trust in his love. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm telling you, it's a great life. It's a good life. It's an anointed life when you're on the Lord's side. All right. Well, before we get started, let's go, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, okay? Heavenly Father, I thank you so very much tonight in the mighty name of Jesus for what you've done and what you're doing. Lord, I ask that you would speak tonight expressly by your spirit and that you would lead us into all truth and show us things to come. We love you tonight in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, my friend, you ready to get into the word of God? I am too. All right. So we're going to continue in this series. We've been uh, we've been in the book of Mark and we first started in, in our journey here. We first started when Jesus sent the multitude away and he and the disciples got into the boat and went across the stormy sea, right? And then went over to the, the country of the Gadareans and they dealt with that, um, with the demons possessing that man there. So if you haven't heard all of those, go back and hear, that, hear those messages. All right, so now Jesus and the disciples are getting back in the boat and they're going back over into Galilee and the people are excited to see them. So this is where we will start tonight as Jesus and the disciples are back to the other side of the lake. All right, now we're going to speak tonight from the subject of hope in desperate times, hope in desperate times. And you'll see this as we go on. This is wonderful. So our study tonight, uh, we're going to be talking about, of course, Jairus and uh, his daughter that died. And we'll also be talking about the woman with the issue of blood, because this is what is facing Jesus as he comes back here uh, in, onto the other side of the lake. So this can be found and on three of the Gospels, once again, it is uh, in Matthew, the ninth chapter, verses 18 through 25. And is also found in the book of Luke, the eighth chapter, verse 40 through 56. And in the book of Mark, chapter five, verse 22 through 43. So you can go back and read those. Yep, somebody already knows. Unfortunately, John I don't know if it's unfortunate, but John does not uh, hold this account. Aww. He has a lot of other things to say, but not on this as far as the woman with the issue of blood and Jairus' daughter. And as is our pattern, we're going to go down. We're going to start here in the book of Luke. We're going to look at the Luke account and we're going to sprinkle in a bit of um, Matthew and sprinkle in a lot of Mark. Mark has a lot to say about it. 
Mark, you know, yeah. Mark has a lot to say about it, so we're gonna sprinkle those accounts in and get a good round picture. So, you ready? I'm ready, let's, let's dive in, okay? All right, so let's start here again in the book of uh, Luke, the eighth chapter, verse 40, and we're just going to start reading and see what happens, okay? And it says, and it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. All right, so there's a warm welcome when Jesus comes back in the town. Right. Now, of course, that's quite a contrast from where he just left. Remember in the country of the Gadareans uh, that everybody asked him, except for the man that was uh, demon possessed, but the country asked Jesus, would you go? Get away from here, all right? They didn't understand what had happened and they were terrified, they were afraid. All right, so Jesus, of course, sends the man that was just delivered, sends him back into the country, and he goes and preaches everywhere the good things the Lord Jesus has done for him. All right, so on one side of the lake, Jesus is told, get out of here, get out of here. On the other side of the lake, he's, there are people that are waiting on him and they're glad to see him. Wow, that's another life lesson, isn't it? You know, where some would be glad to see you and others want you to leave. Some are for you and some are against you. Some are your supporters and some are your haters. But you know what? That has no bearing on you because, and I love this, it, Jesus is not moved by this. He is still who he is. And my friends, this is what you and I have to be, regardless of public opinion. You have to be the person that God has called you to be. And let me tell you, that's pretty wonderful. And you know, it's part of my prayer as well, that you will see, see you through the eyes of God, that you will see you through the eyes of God. Let's just go here just for a minute. When you see you through the eyes of the Lord, see you the way that he sees, the way that he sees you, you won't desire to be like anyone else. You know, in our society today, we see how someone is doing this and they're living there. They have this and they have that. And we can desire uh, to be like them. We can desire to have what they have. But let me tell you, when you finally realize the great potential that God has for you, you'll be so impressed. You'll be so impressed and so at awe over what God has for you and how he sees you. You won't want to be like anybody else. And I believe really that that is how it should be. I'm telling you, that is how it should be, where we should see ourselves through the eyes of Christ. And as we do that, what's gonna happen to um, uh, low self-esteem? It goes out of the way, it goes out of the way. And compare, comparing ourselves to others, it goes out of the way. And we can be free to be the people that God has made us. You are special, you are unique. So my friend, please never forget that. You are special, you are unique, you are God's very own. And I'm glad I know you, <laughs> praise the Lord. All right, so once again, the Lord leaves one place and they talk about him and they come to another, he comes to another place and he is welcome and people are glad to see. But again, he's not phased by it and you shouldn't be phased by it either. Whether they are yay or whether they are boo, it doesn't phase you. It doesn't phase you. 
It didn't phase Jesus, so don't let it phase you. All right, so let's look further on down again. All right, verse 40, one more time. It says, and, and it came to pass that uh, when Jesus was returned, uh, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. Awesome. Let's read on. Verse 41, and it says, And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. All right, so there's a lot of things we got to talk about there. So as Jesus gets off the boat and people are glad to see him, there are crowds forming around him. Here comes Jairus. He is a ruler of the synagogue. We got to talk for a moment about what it means to be a ruler of the synagogue. All right. But the name Jairus means, I believe it is uh, an enlightened one or one whom God enlightens. So let's check that out for a second. Yes, uh, the name Jairus means enlightened one or one whom God enlightens. All right. So we'll find out how this is going to happen because surely God is about to enlighten him about who Jesus is, about who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. Now, the big thing about, about Jairus, again, he is a ruler of the synagogue. That is, we can say today, he is uh, the head elder in this local fellowship. Put it that way. He's the head honcho in charge, so to speak. So, He's a ruler of the synagogue. Now, on many other occasions in scripture, uh, there were rulers of synagogues that were not very friendly to Jesus. As a matter of fact, when Jesus healed in the synagogue on a Sabbath day, also here in the gospel, the ruler of the synagogue didn't like it and was really in the process of trying to rebuke Jesus. You know, so there was always that 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 headbutting against Jesus, um, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes and the Sadducees, rulers of the synagogue. Right. And they were always butting heads with Jesus. As a matter of fact, uh, another case in scripture, uh, they told the people, if you identify with Jesus or have anything to say to Jesus, you may be put out of the synagogue. And, and putting people out of the synagogue, right. That was one of the jobs uh, of the ruler of the synagogue. He was supposed to keep order and discipline in the house. All right, so we see potential conflict. Now, this man, Jairus, uh, the one whom God enlightens because he's really about to be enlightened. He comes to Jesus and he falls down at Jesus's feet. Now, let's read that a little bit further. I want you to um, also see this because we're going to go back and forth between the Gospels to really get a good uh, round picture. But let me go ahead and read 441 again. Then we're going further. It says, and behold, there came a man named Jairus, one whom God enlightens or whom God enlightens. And he was a ruler of the synagogue already, like we said before, possible conflict. Uh, but this time, instead of butting heads with him, and he fell down at Jesus's feet and besought him that he would come into his house. Why is he doing this? For uh, he had for he had uh, one only daughter about 12 years of age and she lay a dying. 
she lay dying. So now we see why Jairus is coming because he needs a miracle. He needs a miracle in his house. Now we also see how Jesus is no respecter of persons. No respecter, no respecter. If he were a respecter of persons, then he would have said, what? Y'all folk always after me. I'm not giving you a miracle. No, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> you know, I doubt he would have said it like that, but you understand what I'm saying. But no, he's not a respecter of persons. Look what happens. Now, let's look at, let's look at this same case uh, in the book of Matthew, Matthew 9. And we're going to read uh, verse number 18. And it says, while he spake these things unto them, behold, uh, there came a certain ruler and worshiped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. So we see now that Matthew 9 gives us, gives us a bit more information, right? So not only does Jairus come and fall at Jesus' feet, the Bible says he worshiped him. Now that's big, especially uh, since the Ten Commandments say, you'll have no other God before me. Hey, don't worship, don't worship, worship only me. So that could say something about what Jairus actually believes. Is this God in the flesh, Emmanuel, the Christ? So the Bible says again, he worshiped him. He worshiped him. We can also say he really gave Jesus honor, respect and reverence. Big. So what does this tell us again? When you need a miracle in your house, let pride stand aside. You know, I'm not sure what you've gone, what's happened in your life, but sometimes people can get a, a chokehold, you know, and not receive from God on the basis of what they've done, on the basis of what they did. They really find it hard to receive God's forgiveness. They really find it hard to receive his love because of what they did or because of what has happened to them. But remember, see this case here. See this case. Jesus still loves him and he agrees to go to the man's house and heal his daughter. This is awesome stuff, isn't it? All right. So maybe, you know, somebody that has a chokehold, you know, and, and they're, they're finding it difficult to receive the love of God. Let me just encourage them as I encourage you. Forget about that stuff and just receive what Jesus has for you. He'll help you sort out all the other bad pieces in your life because he really does love you. Yes. All right. So let's look again. It says here and uh, verse 42. Uh, for he had one only daughter about 12 years of age and she lay a dying. Matthew says, um, my daughter is even now dead. Of course, this means that she is at the point of death. She's very nearly death uh, or rather dead. Maybe she's just right on the edge, right on the edge. Now, here's a thing, too. We need to look at this at the faith of Jairus, because here your one and only daughter it does not say one and only child. It says one and only daughter. And she is at home at the point of death. Now we'll read further on how uh, Jairus' wife, he has a wife and there are lots of people at his house and they're, they're crying and they're moaning uh, because of his daughter. 
Now the people were, were already there, so it looks like everybody expected her to die, and uh, expected her to die. So Jairus leaves his house, uh, leaves his house, leaves his daughter in that condition, leaves his wife, who I'm sure needs him by her side because her daughter is dying at the point of death. You know, and, and I feel for anyone that has ever had a, a child in this predicament. It seems like both parents would want to be there and cling to that child's uh, very, very life, to, to, the, to her last breath. But Jairus somehow has heard about Jesus. Maybe he's heard from other rulers of the synagogue around town how Jesus has performed miracles. And so he decides, honey, I'm going to go and get Jesus and bring him here. He's got his journey or his mission is to bring Jesus into his house of pain. Bring Jesus into his house of misery. Or we can say bring life back home with him. Oh, we can stop there for a moment. Isn't that the role of every husband, of every head of the household? Bring Jesus home with you? My God! If we as men or as head of households, maybe you're a single mother. Uh, I'm not sure who you are, but if you're in charge, they're in the house. It's our responsibility to bring Jesus home with us. So the scene is desperate. Remember tonight we're talking about hope in desperate times. And boy, I'm telling you, Jairus is desperate and time is of the essence. She's at the point of death. And, and even Matthew says uh, that even now uh, she's dead or she's at the point of death, right at the very edge, clinging to life. Jairus, I'm sure, runs. He, he runs. Oh, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? And somehow discovers that Jesus is, has just gotten there, just landed. I mean, his ship just came in and Jairus didn't waste any time. He sees Jesus and falls at Jesus's feet and worships him. He honors him. He reveres him. And and says, Lord, would you come to my house? Forget about what I've done or what I've said in the past. I need you, Jesus, to come with me. Awesome. Isn't that awesome? And Jesus agrees. All right. So that's wonderful. So time is of the essence. His daughter is at the point of death. All right. So let's see what happens here. All right. So let's go on. I'm oh, boy, I'm getting a lot out of this. I hope that you are, too. This is some good stuff. I'm telling you. All right. So uh, again, it says in verse number uh, 42, for he had one only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a dying. Look at verse 43. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment and immediately her issue of blood stenched. It stopped. All right, so let's catch the scene. Time is of the essence. Jairus does, I'm sure maybe he thinks what the impossible, maybe does the impossible. You know, because again, ruler of synagogue, religious leader and Christ butting heads, not because Jesus didn't want to be friends, that he didn't love them, but they did not love him. 
They did not like him. They didn't like him healing people on the Sabbath day and everything. So there's already conflict here. But Jesus agrees. And oh, I can see Jairus. Yes, yes, yes. My baby, my daughter is going to live. Come on, Jesus. We're right down this road here. Obviously, it has to be pretty, you know, fairly close um, because, you know, he's probably he probably ran there. You know, everything is pretty much close by. It may be within a mile or so. I'm not I'm not sure, but it had to be pretty close for them uh, to get back to the daughters, to get back to his house. All right. So Jesus and Jairus and the crowd that that welcomed Jesus there uh, at the at the dock, I guess you would say, uh, they're all going. Now we're all going to Jairus's house. But as they go, they are interrupted by a woman who has had a who has been hemorrhaging, who has been bleeding, I believe we can say, for 12 years. She's had an issue of blood for 12 years. Now, we can't just run over this fact either, that Jairus's daughter, you heard it right, she's 12. Jairus's daughter is 12, and this woman with the issue of blood is also, uh, she's had this condition for 12 years, all right? 12 is a very, very powerful number. Because 12 talks about faith. Uh, 12 also talks about governmental power, governmental power or authority. And so it talks about foundations, royal foundations. So as you look about the number 12, and you can study this later on if you like, uh, how many um, tribes are there of Israel? 12, foundation of the nation of Israel. How many disciples did the Lord Jesus choose or apostles? Right. 12 foundation and uh, and 12 also, again, speaks about faith. It speaks about miracles. So when the Lord Jesus, uh, when he uh, was out with the crowds and they needed something to eat. Remember, he asked them, how many how many fish loaves do you have? He said, well, we got this these many fish, I think five fish and two two loaves. And remember, he multiplied the fish and loaves and how many fragments were left over? Right. Twelve. The residue or the proof of faith in action. Miracles. So or a foundation. He's setting a foundational principle. So let's apply that here. And we see that the woman with the issue of blood was sick for 12 years. Jairus's daughter was 12 years old. So there are right now signs of miracle, miracles about to happen here. Also, faith is going to be needed here. And there's also some sort of foundational principle that we're going to have to mine out of these scriptures tonight. This is wonderful. All right. So we see this woman. We don't know. We don't know her name, but she is interrupting uh, this crowd. And we see some background information about her again. So it says again in verse 43, and a woman having an issue of blood 12 years had uh, which had spent all her living uh, upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. Now, that's powerful, isn't it? She had this condition. Now, of course, this had to do with her uh, with her menstrual cycle. So here's another life lesson. Something that should have only lasted a week, a short time, has lasted 12 years. Talk about something feeling as though it's a curse. 
something that was meant to be temporary has now lasted well belong, well uh, longer than it should have. And so she's had to deal with this. Now, as we look at this in terms of the Levitical law, let me t let's talk about the law as it relates to this woman with the issue of blood, because there's a lot that is going on here that, that we really have to have some background information on. Now, we see background information on Jairus. We know that he is the ruler of the synagogue. So there's already potential stuff there. And now we see this woman who has had an issue of blood. She has an issue of blood. Uh, she's had it for 12 years. So what the Bible calls her actually is unclean, unclean. And we're going to look at look at that in Levitic, Leviticus just a moment. She was considered to be unclean. Now, before we do that, let me show you one other thing here and then we'll go on. It says, OK, a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which spent which had spent all her living. She spent all her living. Now, if we look there in the book of Mark, the fifth chapter, verse 26. Now we're sprinkling in another one, right? Mark, fifth chapter, verse 26. This is what it reads or how it reads. It says, and had suffered, talking about the woman, and had suffered many things of many physicians, uh, many physicians, and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. Verse 27, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, for she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. All right. There's a reason why she comes up behind him. And that has to do with the Levitical law. So let's go back and let's do some uh, let's do some background reading. As a matter of fact, let's go to Leviticus, the 15th chapter. As God gives the people of God or the people of Israel, the children of Israel, certain laws or certain rules he puts in place really for their safety and their protection. All right. If someone has an issue of blood, uh, they, they are bleeding. Uh, there could be potential disease for the entire uh, population, right? When someone, when there's blood on the convenience store floor or blood, you're out somewhere, you know, those people do, I've seen them in department stores, they break out the hazmat gear or, you know, they put on gloves and all that. And then they sprinkle some sort of powder over the blood and then they carefully get that up. Why? Because we don't know what's in your blood. We, you don't know what's happening. You don't know what disease is in that blood. All you know is that something in that blood has made that person sick or that person is sick and that sickness could be in that blood. So there is a potential health uh, problem, potential health disaster for the entire community. So if someone has, and we're speaking about this in Leviticus, uh, remember the Old Testament. Now, they didn't have the technology that we have today and all that stuff. So what the father did, he gave them rules to live by. Even when they came upon a dead body, there were rules to deal with a, a dead body or laws that dealt with the dead body, how to handle it. And you had to wash your clothes and, and, and wash yourself. So let's just look at this and see what the Lord says about someone that has an issue of blood. All right. Let's see what it says here. Uh, 
Leviticus, the 15th chapter. Let's read two verses, verse 25 through 27. And it says, if a woman has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period. Doesn't that sound like this woman? It's exactly right. Again, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is ceremonially unclean. She is ceremonially unclean. And we're going to talk about that more. It says, as during her menstrual period, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. She will be unclean as long as she continues to bleed, as long as the discharge continues. Verse 20, uh, verse 20, uh, 26. Uh, any bed she lies on and any object she sits on during that time will be unclean just as during her normal menstrual period. Again, they didn't have the type of technology that we have today. Uh, all the many different wonderful uh, feminine products. This was something totally different. So I don't want anybody to get offended or, or upset about that. I'm thankful that the Lord gave them specific rules, specific things to do. All right. Because the Bible says, again, the life of the body is in the blood. And if your life be diseased, then there is a potential health hazard for all that's in the village. And, you know, you've heard about plagues and, and other diseases that ran rampant uh, back in Bible times and even further on up through the years. If it was not contained, then other people could deal with it, too. So I have no doubt that the woman that we're talking about in, in Luke have no doubt that she wasn't um, a health hazard. Uh, or that she was carrying some sort of disease. I don't think that was I don't think that was the case at all. But because of the law, because of the rules that were set, that were set in place to protect the general public. Right. The father loves his people. He has these rules in place to protect the general public. And they're also in place um, so that the worshiper may be uh, safeguarded too in the house of God. We'll look at it. Let's go on just a little bit further tonight. It says any bed she lies on and any object she sits on, uh, sits on during that time will be unclean just as during her normal menstrual period. If any of you touch these things, here's the general population. If any of you touch these things, you will be ceremonially unclean. You must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water and you will remain unclean until evening, until evening. All right. So this is big. Uh, th this is big. So she is considered by Jewish law to be unclean and she has been unclean now for 12 years. Ceremonially unclean talks about uh, their worship going before the father. And you'll see this. Actually, if someone was unclean, they could not go into the temple. Uh, they could not participate uh, in festivals. Right. Uh, they couldn't bring an offering before the Lord because they themselves were unclean. Not only ceremonially unclean, 
not only were not only were they not accepted there in the temple, but if they brought a gift, that gift would also not be accepted. So she could not worship uh, with the body uh, for 12 years. Now, if anybody touched her, they also would be considered unclean, at least until the evening time. Now, evening here uh, in, in the Bible time uh, or, or in the Jewish culture in Israel there, evening actually began, it actually ended uh, the day and it began the next day. It started in the evening. You look in the book of Genesis, as, as we recount the creation story or the, or the account of creation, it says the evening and the morning were the first day. The evening, the evening were the first day, right? Evening goes around. So it starts in the evening, starts in the evening. So basically, if anybody touched her, they were unclean for the rest of the day. And they had to remain away from everybody else because, again, if they touched her, they're unclean. But if they touch someone else, they're unclean. Now, I believe there's also specific rules and reasons why God did that. Because if, if this person that was unclean had a disease, then you could probably see the boils coming up within that 24-hour period. So it's like, uh, let's let this thing incubate. And then after that period, let's look at you. Let's look at you and see if you're okay. You're okay. All right. Now you can go into the general population. All right. So this lady that is unclean is not supposed to be in this crowd. She's not supposed to be here. Why? Remember, the crowd is packed. And we're going to see this as Jesus is going to Jairus's house. The people are thronging him. I mean, it is a tight crowd and everybody's trying to get a touch of Jesus. The disciples are there and everybody's there. And she comes up, maybe crawling on the ground. I don't know. But she is touching. She has to be touching other people, making them all. Everybody she touched ceremonially unclean. But she has a faith confession. She says, if I can only touch his clothes, touch the hem of his garment, I shall be healed. I shall be made whole. So. I think the next time, I mean, this is so powerful. This is so powerful. I think the next time that we're going to get into uh, exactly what happened here, because the, the part of the garment that she's touching is actually his prayer shawl. And she's touching the hem of his prayer shawl, which represents represented his prayer life or his communion with God. So she's saying, if I can touch his prayer life, if I can touch his connection with God, I know I'll be made whole. It's not just I want to pull on his sleeve or touch his leg or not even touch him. I want to touch his connection with God. I want to touch his relationship with God. And I know if I do that, I mean, it's like she's touching the power line, in other words. She's touching the power line. If I can touch the power line, his relationship with God, I know that I will be healed. And she's making this confession as she goes. I mean, it's a powerful thing. Uh, we can go on just a little bit further. How about that? Just a little bit further. All right. Now, as we stay here in the book of Leviticus, let's look at verse number 31. Leviticus 15, 31. And let's look at this out of the Amplified Bible. All right. So. Remember what, what we're doing now. We're getting some background information 
on this woman with the issue of blood and seeing things the way she sees it, or at least a small part of it anyway. So Leviticus 15:31. listen to this out of the Amplified Bible. It says, thus you shall separate the Israelites from their uncleanness so that they do not die in their uncleanness by their defiling my tabernacle that is among you. All right. So the Lord said, when, basically, when someone's unclean, separate yourself. The person that is unclean or the person that is unclean, don't come into the tabernacle. Least you die. Because remember, God is holy. God is righteous. Now, before you say, well, that's the reason I can't come to church because, you know, I got so much mess and mess, mess in my life. God doesn't want me there. Let me tell you again, this was under Le Levitical law in the Old Testament, which said this. Now, catch this key and then I think we're going to close out, which says this. If a clean person were to touch someone that was unclean, then the clean person became unclean. Make sense? Or we can say it this way. If someone that was unclean touched a clean person, then the clean person then became just like the other unclean. They're both unclean. That was under Levitical law. And as you can see here, if the unclean person touches the clean, that is the temple of God, the tabernacle, you're going to die. That person dies. It's a very strong possibility that you're going to die. Why? Because you're bringing God something that is impure. You're bringing God something that is, is not holy, that, that wasn't right. That, again, Old Testament under the Old Covenant. Again, if the unclean touched the clean, then the clean became unclean. Now, look at this. But from what we've just read, she was unclean. And wasn't Jesus clean? Absolutely. So it should have been where if Jesus was a normal man, <laughs> you know, he's a son of God. It should have been where the unclean person touched clean Jesus and then Jesus became unclean. But not so. Not so. Now, because of Christ Jesus. And this is the reason why I'm telling you, you need to get back in church because the unclean touches clean Jesus and clean Jesus cleans the unclean. Let's ride that. Did you hear that? Jesus, the clean, makes the unclean clean. Hallelujah. He's not saying that here again, he is God in the flesh. Here's what the father always wanted to do, because remember, Jesus is perfect theology. If you want to find out about God, look at Jesus. Right. Right. So Jesus is there. The lady that is the lady that is unclean, ceremonially unclean, touches the clean Jesus and the clean Jesus makes the unclean clean. You know, and he does the same thing. Let me show you this, too. This is so powerful. This is not the only case uh, where the Lord does this. We can also see this in. Um, yeah, let's let's look at. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and look at this in the book of Luke. This is so wonderful. Luke, the fifth chapter, Luke five. And let me show you another example of how the clean 
makes the unclean clean. All right. Luke, the fifth chapter, uh, verse 12 through 13. And this is how it reads. And it came to pass when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, a man full, no doubt he has leprosy and is unclean. A man full of leprosy who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. You can make me clean. And what happens? And he put forth his hand. Oh, Jesus, not supposed to do that. This man is unclean. But Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. Oh, let's ride. Let's ride. That's Jesus, man. Let's ride. Jesus did it. Isn't that awesome? Jesus can make the unclean clean. And you know what? He did it for her. He did it for him. And he can do it for you. Hooray! Hope in desperate times. So there is a whole lot more here. And I'm so excited. But we are out of time. Oh, my God. And I can't wait to get into this with you on next week as we continue the saga of Jesus, our hero and our Lord. And we're going to learn so many wonderful life lessons. So let's get back to the point as we go. Let's get back to the point and remember that it doesn't matter where you've been. You say you cry out unclean, unclean. I'm unclean, unclean. It's all right. Jesus can make you clean. He's waiting to make you clean. Uh, just like he did with Jairus, you say, well, I can't go because I've cursed about God. I've, I've done all these things against God. So has Jairus or at least his group. And Jesus still received him. Mm, 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 mm. I'm telling you, here are two, basically two outcasts uh, that come to Jesus and he receives them both and gives them both miracles. They both come to him in faith and in desperation and he heals them and delivers them. And my friend, I'm telling you, this is exactly what he's doing and is going to do in your life today. So you can have hope in your desperate time or in your time of need. So don't think that the Lord's going to turn your way. Uh-uh, that's not so. That's not so. He loves you so much. And I just pray that you'll have the courage to go and see him. Hallelujah. To bow the knee and say, Jesus, here I am. I'm standing in the need of prayer. I'm kneeling right here before you and I need your help. Wow. And he's there. So before we go today, let me have a word of prayer with you. I would love to do that. So put your hand on your screen. However you're listening or watching, that's our point of contact. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, I bring before you your daughter, your son, your child. They love you. And they're standing at the point of desperation, needing a miracle. Father, I pray right now at this very time, at this very moment, that your power and your presence would fill the room, would fill the atmosphere wherever they are, whether in the car, at the gym, at home, riding down the road, at work. Father, fill the room. And Father, I pray that they would experience your love, your passion for them. And Lord, I pray that you would heal them and deliver them and make them whole. 
And Lord, I pray that heaven would be revealed in their lives, that crooked things would be made straight, that rough things would be made smooth, that the valleys will be filled in and that all would be well. Father, I pray right now for mercy and grace to your beloved. Bless them, Father, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. And my friend, if you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, there's no magical prayer or formula. You just simply have to believe in him. Believe that he is the son of God. Believe that he is the savior of the world. Receive him as your savior. Repent of the bad things you've done. In other words, turn from them and turn to him because he loves you and he's waiting for you. So you can say something like this, Father, I come to you a sinner. I admit I've done bad things in need of a savior. I repent of my sins. I turn away from the evil and I turn to you. I believe in Jesus and I ask him to be my Lord and my savior. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, live in me, make me yours and I will serve you all the days of my life as you show me how. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, my friend, once again, boy, you're getting a double dose today. If you prayed that prayer and you meant that from your heart, I believe the Lord has saved you. Now, go and find your good Bible-believing church. If you're in the area, come on by and uh, sit with us here and enjoy Jesus with us. Come on by and worship with us. We love to have you. All right. Well, until next time, I think that's it for tonight. <laughs> until next time, remember that Jesus loves you and so do we. Choose him as your Lord today. Only he can make a way. We love you. Oh, yes. And don't forget to join us Sunday morning. Yeah, Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for another live service. And be back here with us every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock when we're going into another, when we will go into another midweek service. Love you. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye now.